Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Fred Hills and Daisy Sanders run Collis Art, one of the leading dealers in American art. The American painting category has experienced a revival recently, with strong sales to major institutions in England and a surprising amount of interest from foreign buyers. Collis Art has a portrait of the American actor Clifton Webb painted by George Bellows in their booth this week at Masterpiece Fair in London. I spoke to Fred and Daisy in early June, just after the American painting sales, but also in the shadow of the monstrous contemporary art sales in May. And my simple question was, what could possibly be driving a renewed interest in American art? Uh, I've been pondering the results of the American sales. I think we both, I know we both have, uh, in the context of some of the extraordinary prices that have been paid for modern and contemporary art in the past few weeks. And it occurs to me, uh, by way of addressing this question, that the American market, like the old master market, is less focused on brands and more focused on quality of and interest of individual works. For example, by contrast, um, if you, and this is not a criticism of Warhol at all, but Warhol is a brand and there is sufficient supply of Warhol material such that international buyers, as well as the handful of people who have massive holdings of Warhol, um, can buy any Warhol of quality, knowing that they have bought into the brand of Warhol, which is why, one of the reasons why, I mean, Warhol, I think, is a very major figure. I don't mean, again, to be critical of Warhol in any way, but his Art is appreciated around the world pretty much because it's very accessible and understood. Whether it's there's a large volume volume to support that brand, and many other contemporary artists are similar. Needless to say, Picasso falls in that as well. When you get to American art, as with old masters, uh, the major artists like Hopper, like Church are far and few between. And yet there was a hopper at Christie's with a tremendous uh, $20 million estimate that just uh, didn't make it. It was a big surprise. That painting has been offered on the market quite extensively. And I think uh, that prospective buyers felt that they had passed on it previously and didn't pursue it at the auction. It's a wonderful painting. Personally, my take on that painting is that it's too happy. And a happy hopper is not really what you want. That being said, it's a great painting. And hoppers are oil paintings of that date are virtually impossible to find. I would have thought, and I still think there is, a a buyer for it. It will find a home, I am sure. Church is a similar case. I mean, they are very, very difficult to find. And a substantial oil painting of Mount Desert subject 
is a very desirable thing. That painting sold at Christie's not so long ago into a private collection. Uh, it did not excite the interests of current collectors of church. I think the criticism about that painting, which I would tend to agree with, is that it tends to lack drama, beautiful as it is. But neither church nor Harper, Harper more so than church, uh, is the kind of brand that would uh, find a home, be competed for by an international audience. Al although I just want to add that Harper is one of the artists who has had appreciation by uh, exhibition, museum exhibitions abroad, even very recently, as, by the way, has church at the National Gallery in London. Just to go back for a second to your mention of brands, it strikes me that Norman Rockwell has had a tremendous price appreciation in the last few years, sort of leading the American painting category, and he uh, especially is, is a brand name kind of artist, easily recognizable around the world. I think, uh, contrary in a, in a sense to what I said, yes, Rockwell is a brand and has international appeal, and there is sufficient supply to support that demand, which is, as you said earlier, the supply is an important question. If you are, uh, as a buyer, as a marketer, contemplating certain artists as brands, then you need a sufficient supply to feed the demand. Um, Rockwell's rise is extraordinary. We are fans of Rockwell. I don't think Rockwell is a greater artist than Hopper, however. and. It seems like it's less a question of whether he's a greater artist than then this is a greater time uh, for him. In many ways, Warhol's uh, solidification of his position as a global artist representing what America means to the world has set up uh, an opportunity for Norman Rockwell, who also speaks of a certain type of America, to be appreciated beyond, you know, uh, American collectors? Well, once it starts and enough significant Rockwells come to the marketplace, it does continue. And yes, it, it's, it's surprising. But if you look at the Rockwell market in an international context or in the context of uh, modern and contemporary art, they are not all that expensive by comparison. And they have tremendous appeal. Very, they're very accessible. And, and, and in in Rockwell's way, his art is unique. Uh, I think one of the interesting developments we have been seeing in re recent years in the American market is the rise in appreciation of American modernism. I mean, O'Keeffe is an obvious example. Uh, Milton, Avery. Milton Avery, for sure. And then this past week, um, Dove. And Christie's contemporary department made a strong pitch to include Arthur Dove in their presentation of some of their contemporary masterworks. It was in a room with uh, Major Rothko, Twombly, and Klein paintings, uh, almost as a way of uh, melding the contemporary category with the American paintings category. This is absolutely a trend that we support, admire, and observe. Uh, the internationalization of American art is of great interest to us. For example, Hartley, the German paintings 
were uh, the subject of an exhibition in Berlin at the Berlin Museum that came to the LA County. Uh, and there are other examples of American modernist painting being appreciated in contexts of uh, European modernist art. One very good example of that, or, um, uh, well, uh, yes, it's a good example of, of this, is that uh, right in New York at the Metropolitan Museum, where in the, um, the current modern section, they have interspersed American and European modernists together. So instead of isolating the American, it's mixed in, and it proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that the best American modernism is absolutely on a par with European, and in some instances better, and in, in some interesting instances even earlier, you could say that Hartley is the innovator, not the follower. And this is a point which we hope will get greater currency. So are you seeing buyers coming from other collecting categories like contemporary art um, looking into American paintings? Yes, we are. Uh, certainly, there is an interest among museums. We have been aware of certain aspects of this phenomenon uh, from our experience exhibiting American art at the Masterpiece Fair in London, which we've spoken about. But it is uh, seminal to our efforts, and we are very pleased with the response that we have been getting and and the uh, response we've been observing just the level of interest in good examples of American art modernism in particular as you know uh, it's not exactly modernism but George Bellows has been well received in the UK first the National Gallery three years ago National Gallery in London hosted a small exhibition of Bellows and Ashcan painting which was sponsored by the Terra Foundation, which does such wonderful things for the cause. Then they told us, Nick Penny told us, that this was not an isolated thing, that they were hopeful that, that their board would vote in principle to acquire some American art, which they did about the time that the Royal Academy hosted the Bellows Retrospective that had been in, in the National Gallery Washington and the Met here in New York. And then, simultaneously with that, of course, the National Gallery in London bought Men of the Docks by Bellows for $24.5 million from Randolph University. A very notable sale and a, uh, a groundbreaking acquisition. Their first American painting, actually, it's their first recent American acquisition because they do have an Innis floating around somewhere, which they never hang, I don't think. But um, uh, the Bellows was a landmark. And we have just parenthetically, but it's of interest to, to it adds to the, to the, uh, the story. Uh, we have featured Bellows in each of our appearances at Masterpiece. We've been there three times. This coming June is our fourth year there. And we've had bellows each time and sold bellows each time. Last year, we had an important early nude uh, of 1905, which was acquired at Masterpiece by the Barber Institute of Fine Arts in Birmingham, England. Thus, their first American acquisition, also their first nude, their
their first acquisition in 10 years. The, the Barber, by the way, is a collection of primarily old masters and some impressionist and modern masters up till about 1900, uh, housed at the University of Birmingham. It's a very famous, wonderful collection, not that well known, but they specifically were excited at the opportunity to acquire an important work by George Bellows because they, encouraged by the National Gallery, feel that Bellows, American art is significant and Bellows is a representative of American art that fits in with their collection. That particular Bellows has a relationship to such old masters as Velasquez and Goya and Rembrandt and Manet, as well as, if you take it a little bit further, um, a connection with um, Francis, Bacon Francis Bacon and Lucian Freud. Uh, this, this, by the way, this Bellows is of the same period, uh, young Robin. Now, that's Clifton Webb, an actor. That's, uh, he, call, he, he, at that point, was an art student. He abandoned art and pursued theater and then movies, as we all know. But he was befriended by Bellows. He was very shy, Clifton Webb. Bellows took him on as a friend, nicknamed him, him Robin Rednose, because he, he yeah. said he looked like a, you know, a, 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 a Robin Red, early morning um, yeah. out there hunting. And this is a, a picture which relates to Henry's famous portrait of John Sloan, steeped in the tradition of Rembrandt and Velasquez, intentionally so. Um, Bellows had not been to Europe, but he had studied the old masters here in New York and was inspired by them. And his point was to show a figure emerging from the dark. Anyway, this picture ended up, uh, it was acquired from the estate by Daryl Zanuck for 20th Century Fox, which was Clifton Webb's studio. And they gave it to Clifton Webb and the painting uh, eventually landed up back with uh, Richard Zanuck and came recently out of his estate. So it's actually a, a Hollywood icon and uh, a paint, I mean, Bellows has always been much admired, well, everywhere, but in LA. Well, that's the perfect opportunity to segue into asking what, what are these global people looking for when they come to you? Uh, they're, you know, Clifton Webb isn't a, a famous American actor anymore. Hollywood might have some glamour, but these global collectors who have interest in American art, when they come to your stand, what is it they're looking for? It's a very diverse, wonderfully diverse group of people. And there's a lot of excitement when they discover us if they don't know us. There are people who come and they don't realize they're looking at American art. We do put American art up on the wall just to give it to help to give it a, a context. But uh, what really is of interest to us is that there are people, curators and collectors, who admire paintings without knowing necessarily that they're looking at American art. They know they're looking at something interesting and so on and so on. Of course, there are many people, um, certainly among the curators, who know perfectly well what they're seeing and frequently thank us for bringing American art to masterpiece into London because heretofore no one has. And it's, it's viable and interesting and to some extent different. 
there are many points of contact, obviously. Many of the Impressionists worked in France or steeped in French Impressionism, which is why they were so admired back in the States when they returned with um, what looked like French Impressionist paintings. They were, they weren't, depending how you define things. But, and then you get the example of John Singer Sargent, who is purely international. Uh, uh, born of American parents in Florence, trained in Paris, lived in London, came to this country from time to time, but truly is international. Um, and he, he, like Whistler, identified as an American. He liked that particular identification, although though I don't think he thought of himself as painting American paintings. He was international. But to your international audience, is the Hollywood connection of this, this painting of Clifton Webb going to be a selling point? Are people going to come because of that glamour, even if they don't recognize the actor? Or is there going to be something else that's going to compel them uh, to be interested in this painting? That's hard to say. Some people, yes, maybe no. I think the point is um, one hopes that an individual looking at this will be attracted to the painting for its aesthetic merits. And then maybe ask questions about it and find out that the subject was a movie star. Uh, very interesting. Clifton Webb was um, really one of the first uh, openly gay movie people and uh, is a hero in that context. Uh, this painting predates his movie career. It's, it's a, really a pure, not even, it is a portrait, but it's uncommissioned. It's, it's one artist's expression of interest in and affection for another individual who was willing to be the subject of a kind of experiment. I mean, this really set Bellows on his course as a great figure painting painter. Yep. It also has, by the way, figured in three of the major early Bellows exhibitions, including uh, this one at LACMA back in 1992, which was the first major Bellows exhibition, which led to many others. What about supply? Is it hard for you to find good pictures? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, I think we're completely in line with other dealers in our field and in other fields. And like the old masters, they, you just never know what's going to show up. Every once in a while, a collection comes along, maybe a fraud collection. That's kind of once in a lifetime these days. There have been a few others. But for the most part, American collections don't come to the market. They, they, they stay with the collectors. And if they get dispersed, it's piecemeal, for the most part. Sotheby's had a little group of paintings from a private collection they'd been in for 30 years, the last sale. And every one of those paintings did very well. I mean, it was not a major collection. They weren't major paintings. But they all did very well. And I think it's partly because they were very fresh to the market, which yeah. made such a big deal. Before the financial crisis, the American category was, was quite strong. And then everything seemed to fall silent. There are obviously several reasons. Uh, some of the buyers perhaps were reticent. But I think more to the point is that the people who might have been selling held back because they figured them it was not a good time. And really, there are few works of caliber. So there are estate sales, there are divorce sales, there are debt sales. But sales of opportunity really only occur when the market is buoyant. And people say, ah, 
Avery is hot. Let's let's sell the Avery now. Well, Avery is hot again. And they they show up with more frequency, and some good ones came up last week. Anybody else to add to that list? Well, I, again, I think Hartley. Uh, Marin Dove. I mean. Marin yes, Dove is a great that, obvious example. Yes. Alfred Maurer. That's Alfred Maurer is a great modernist. Has been zealously collected by a handful of collectors for quite a long time, most notably our good friend Tommy LaPuma. Tommy and Jill LaPuma um, are well-known collectors of American modernism. Much of their collection, um, they have sold much of their collection, but uh, he, he is a music industry genius producer, um, very well-known in that world, but and less well-known in the American art world, but he's been a, notably and vocally volubly champion of Alfred Maurer. And finally, uh, after many years of um, lobbying for this and supporting it, there is a, a Maurer exhibition right now at the Addison Gallery uh, at um, uh, Andover. Uh, Andover, thank you. And it's traveling to the Crystal Bridges Museum. Talk about Crystal Bridges for a minute. Uh, what's its impact? It, well, it's obviously having a strong impact on the market because they are buying many of the best things. And I think what she and they have achieved in a handful of years is phenomenal. And it's not just a question of going out with money. It's a question of buying very thoughtfully. And I think uh, they have built a comprehensive collection. I mean, it's still ongoing, obviously. But it's a, it's a fabulous uh, institution in a gorgeous, spectacular building in a part of this country where there isn't anything. Well, the Gilcrease is not too far away, but it's still pretty, pretty isolated. And it's wonderful, wonderful to have such a facility there uh, with all the, especially with all the educational programs that they are able and willing to provide. It's, it's amazing. And uh, the fact that they welcome the Mara exhibition I think is, uh, speaks to their interest in doing things which are perhaps less obvious. And they've started using their resources to produce their own shows that then travel, correct? They did a massive exhibition last year of contemporary art. It was a, a, a kind of version of the Whitney Biennial. It was meant to show the breadth of art created a across the country by artists, by and large, who are not recognized in the marketplace. And uh, I don't think that exhibition traveled. It was on for a long time at Crystal Bridges. But it did bring to light many artists who are otherwise completely overlooked. And I think some of them, although I can't produce names because they're not in my head now, but some of them, I believe, are going on to some degree of, of further promotion. Well, Crystal Bridges certainly has the means to be innovative and to do exciting things. I think in the first few years, these past first few years of its existence, um, the emphasis has been on building a collection and sharing the collection and becoming a known phenomenon in that part of the country uh, but clearly, as the Mara exhibition suggests, 
they are seeking to welcome exhibitions of figures who are perhaps not to in expand, the front line. Yes, exactly. And they will, I'm sure they will um, create their own. They have had a number of, a turnover of curators. And I think they need to have one or two or three curators in place for enough time that they can build um, a, a, uh, a familiarity with the institution and a following outside the institution. Talk to me for a second about how African-American art uh, fits in here. I mean, it's obviously its own category, and it's in, in its own small way. It seems to be solidifying and building momentum. But how does it relate to the broader category of American art? Clearly, there's a very heightened awareness of it and interest in it, clearly. Um, we look forward to the day when that distinction will be irrelevant the same way that women artists will be an irrelevant distinction. However, there have been some landmark exhibitions going way back now, relatively way back. I'm thinking of Linda Nochlin's exhibition uh, of women artists at the Brooklyn Museum a long time ago, which really did bring uh, a focus on that particular inequality, if you will, and similarly exhibitions of African-American art. And, and the, the Women's Museum in Washington has had a similar uh, focus and a similar effect. Truly, it should be irrelevant. And a curious thing, we, we are champions of American art, but we recognize that American art and what we've been talking about, that it's not so completely different. And the Whitney Museum of American Art, particularly in its spectacular new home, is more and more becoming the Whitney Museum of Art. It is, by its own admission, the artists, they don't really define American art. They, they do require that the artists who are part of their program and collection either were born here or worked here, some connection. But almost everyone now has some connection with the US. And the distinction of American art in the contemporary world I think applies in a similar way to the 19th century. Because, as has been pointed out so many times in various studies, what is American about American art? Yes, there are, there are certain features. And some of the features are rather ac academic in nature. But the early American artists, I don't mean the folk painters, but even some of the folk painters actually came from England or trained with European-trained artists in Boston or later in the mid 19th, early 19th century, they traveled to Italy, and then later in the century to France, and even later still to England for exposure and experience there. And the result is a body of work, Sargent I think is a great example of this, and Whistler too, of art which is universal. And I think more and more the best of American art, whether it's O'Keeffe or Hartley, or Church, or Cole, or the great Luminous. Yes, they have connections with, and interesting connections, the Luminous, for example, with Northern European Romanticism, Caspar David Friedrich, for example. But Lane is a good example of an artist who has a peculiarly and uniquely American quality. Hard to put your finger on it necessarily, but the Luminous in general are as Barbara Novak has so eloquently written in, in various studies, 
and uh, Jack Bauer slightly before her, there, there is an American, it's not an American spirit exactly, but a technique and an outlook and a composition which does define an Americanness at that time. And that's increasingly appealing to more and more collectors wherever they may come from? Well, to, to get back to your question about Masterpiece, um, which we didn't really answer fully, um, it is an international crowd. There are many Americans, and we see many uh, new as well as, many old friends as well as meet new friends, and we've sold to Americans there. It, it's very gratifying. I think from their point of view, they see the American art in the context of a broader base than they normally encounter, because they normally see American art at the sales or at the American galleries or the American art fair here, and it's all of which are wonderful, but in, in the context of Masterpiece, which is in London, it's very international, kind of like Maastricht in the same way. Uh, so the Americans are excited to see some familiar... Yeah, but we also, to the point of diversity, we have met Russians and, and uh, um, quite a few Russians, some Chinese, one or two Philippine collectors, some foreign collectors who are foreign but we don't know exactly who they are, who we have long dialogues with. You just never know who you're meeting and when they're going to come back to you. And as is true in many fairs, certainly our experience at Masterpiece, some of the most interesting encounters are not um, manifest or don't lead, to an, don't lead to anything for a year or two. Well, I hope on this go-round things uh, happen a lot faster than uh, taking a year or two. Uh, with that, thank you so much, uh, Daisy, Fred, for spending the time with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 